All right, Leviticus chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. And if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offer it of the herd, whether it be a male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand upon the head of his offering, and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about, and he shall offer of the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire unto the Lord, the fat that covereth the inwards, and all the fat that is upon the inwards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, which is by the flanks, and the caul above the liver with the kidneys, it shall he take away. And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is upon the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Verse number 17. It shall be a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings that ye eat neither fat nor blood. Today we're talking about burning the fat. You have to be careful with Old Testament writings because some of the laws Christ came to abolish. But there are other laws that the Jews still keep because of the fact that Jesus said this is a statute forever. This covenant is everlasting. It won't end. All right. So the fat and the blood that he's talking about that you should not partake of are the sacrifices that you bring to offer to God. He's not talking about your everyday necessary food all right he's talking about that which you're offering to god you don't eat or you don't partake of what belongs to him as we dealt with last night romans 12 says i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto god which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to have all three. His will, you want to find the good in it, you want to find the acceptable in it, and you want to find the perfection in it. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. Genesis 22 says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I shall tell thee of. All right, my point there is that Isaac was to be set apart not only as a sacrificial offering but a burnt 
offering. So that means that a lot of the stuff that we're going to cover is going to correlate to first Isaac and then the prototype of that is Jesus. All right. An extremely important part of the sacrificial offering was the fat. Like the blood, the fat for the offering was not to be consumed by the children of Israel when it was offered. It was considered the best part of the animal and therefore was reserved for God alone. Many of you that eat beef would know that the flavoring of the meat comes from the fat. You don't completely get rid of all the fat because that's where the flavor comes when it's cooked on the grill. All right, so when it comes to you and I as living sacrifices, the fat in your life represents that which is the meat of why you do what you do. Why is it that you go to that particular sin? What is at the core of it? That's why we dealt last night with Achan. What is in the earth in the midst of your tent? Because that's the part that God is after. That belongs to him. He doesn't want just the outside shell of you, but he wants the very core of you, and he wants to be the main reason and the main drive in your life. He doesn't want all of these other perverted drives. And, and when I say perversion and perverted, I just mean distorted view, not particularly sexually, but anything that distorts God's purpose or his plan or his destiny in your life. All right, so the fat is why do I do what I do? What is behind this thing? Why I can't control this habit or this uh, test or this trial? I keep going through the same thing. There were five types of offerings which involved the burning of the fat. The first one is the peace offering. And this is actually the one that we find in Leviticus chapter 3. The second one is the consecration offering. You'll find that in Leviticus 8. The third one is the sin offering. You'll find that in Leviticus 4. The fourth one is the trespass offering. You'll find that in Leviticus 7. And then the fifth one is called the redemption offering. And that's found in Numbers 18 through 17. Now all of these offerings had different types of animals that were to be involved in the offering. But the manner in which they were given are all identical. They were to be brought to the priest. His hand laid upon them. And the offering represents that thing which you're sacrificing, that you're giving up to God. You're laying down that thing which has been your drive, that thing which has been your vice, and you're bringing it to the priest. The priest lays his hands upon it. Amen. Jesus has to touch you. Jesus has to have contact with you. He has to have contact with what you're sacrificing. It cannot be a, a, a drive-through thing. You have to go in and sit down and dine at the master's table and get into fellowship with him when you're giving him your stuff. Can't be done from a distance. You can't send it by messenger. You can't just throw up a, a haphazard prayer. You got to be able to name that thing before his presence and lose the shame of it and give it to him. All right. So the fat that God requires is not the fat which is marbled into the meat at the skin level. It is the fat that cannot be seen with the natural eye. It is the fat that cannot be exposed without cutting through the skin and the muscle. 
It has to expose the substratum of the animal. We've got to dig way down into that animal that they're sacrificing. 1 Samuel 16. You don't have to turn to it. I have a lot of reading, so I'll just read it. But it's 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For whatever God says to us is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest dagger, cutting swift and deep into our innermost thoughts and desires with all their parts, exposing us for what we really are. This is what the word will do. He knows about everyone everywhere. Everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. Nothing can be hidden from him to whom we must explain all that we have done. Now, in our text, I want you to notice the parts that he names for the fat. He says in verse number three, he shall offer of the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire unto the Lord. The fat that covers the inwards. It covers the inward. It conceals the inwards. So it's surrounded by this fat. And all the fat that is upon the inwards. And the kidneys. All right, so he's dealing with the inner part. Then he deals with the kidneys. The fat that is on them, which is by the flanks. And the call, the C-A-U-L, above the liver. So he's mentioned the kidneys, the call, and the liver in particular. All right, let's deal with these. God insisted that these parts and their associated fat belonged exclusively to him. He was emphatic about that. The kidneys. Our kidneys are vital organs that perform many functions to keep our blood clean and chemically balanced. Every day, It is estimated that our kidneys process about 200 quarts of blood just to sift out two quarts of waste. If our kidneys do not remove these wastes, the waste would build up in the blood and damage our body because it is part of the circulatory system. It has a cycle, and each cycle has to have its own separate purification process in order for the next cycle to be successful, all right? The most fat accumulates near the kidneys. That's what most of the fat is. It's near the kidneys, and to such an extent that in sheep, they sometimes die of it, all right? The call, C-A-U-L. The call is a large fatty omentum that covers the intestines. But there's also what they call, and I didn't know this until the other day, the call in natural life that is upon the infant or the the newborn baby. It is a veil. It's a thin, filmy membrane, the remnants of the amniotic sac 
that covers or partly covers the newborn mammal immediately after birth. So when a baby is born in the call, the sac balloons out at delivery. In other words, it doesn't bust and just release the baby, but it crowns the baby's body in that sac, although even the fluid has released from it. It covers the baby's face and body as he or she emerges from the birth canal. The baby is in no danger of drowning since he or she will not take a breath until his or her face is out of the fluid contained in the call. Many obstetricians break the bag of waters if it doesn't rupture spontaneously during labor as it is believed that this will speed up the delivery process. Sometimes they have to go in and bust the sack that is over the baby's head. But remember, the baby's not going to breathe as long as he's in that sack. In medieval times, the appearance of a call on a newborn baby was seen as a sign of good luck. It was considered an omen that the child was destined for greatness. Gathering the call onto paper was considered an important tradition of childbirth. The midwife would take paper and rub the paper on the baby's face or body, therefore putting the call onto the paper. Then the paper was presented to the mother so the mother could show it off and say, I have a gifted baby. But the call is not to be put on display. It is to be sacrificed and burn up. This is why we read in being the sacrifice that immediately after he tells them in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He immediately follows that two verses later with don't think more of yourself than you ought to think. We are not going to put the, this, this call on display. The call doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. All right. So they're to be burnt upon the altar. Next, the liver. The liver produces substances that break down fats. The liver converts glucose and glycogen, and it produces the urea, or the main substance of your urine. The liver makes certain amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. It filters harmful substances from the blood, such as alcohol. This is why we don't believe in excessive drinking, because the liver is meant to filter Alcohol is one of the main things that it's designed to filter. But when you overdo something, that's why it says be not filled with wine, but be filled with the spirit. It's because that when you keep doing it and keep doing it, you start breaking that, the mechanism of the liver down. And it's less able to extract and cleanse the liver of that alcohol each time. And it gets broken down more and broken down more and broken down. Before you know it, you have sclerosis. The liver is responsible for the storage of vitamins and minerals. The liver maintains a proper level of glucose in the blood. And it's responsible for producing cholesterol. In fact, it produces about 80% of the cholesterol in your body. So this substratum fat, the fat that was deep down inside, translates into that part of us which filters everything that we consume in life. Everything that is tied to this burnt offering, the fat in particular, it deals with that which is part of the filtration system in our bodies. It represents our soul. 
also called the heart, which is the seat of our affection. It is the place where our reasoning takes place. If I could back up for a minute and go back to the call and the newborn baby with the call, babies that are born with calls are also called veil births. They are born with a veil or they're born with a mask. Some of us were born into families or situations to where immediately we had to put the mask on. Immediately. You had no time for individuality to develop. You immediately came out saying, how can I please you? How can I not make you upset? What do I have to do to keep you happy? And you, you were born juggling this, and therefore it starts. And we wonder why we so messed up. So their veil bursts. All right, so we are born as call bearers and therefore are not technically breathing yet. Although the atmosphere has changed, our mind thinks that we are still in the womb because of the call, the mask, the veil. Our, your mind thinks that you're still in the process of being birthed. Although you're out of the womb, you're in the elements now, but your mind says, I'm still wrapped in this amniotic sac. You're in the elements, but you're not breathing. We cannot adequately filter the experiences of life because we're looking through the call. We're looking through a glass darkly, and we have no discernment. As Bishop Noel Jones put it, we're working with faulty mechanisms. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, and who can know it? So if, if the heart is what we think with, and the heart is what we perceive with, and the heart is what we love with. But at the same time, the heart is desperately wicked above all things. And, and then, not only is it wicked, but you don't realize it. You think it's a good thing. This is a good thing that I'm doing, because my heart is in it. But the heart is deceitful. It's tricked you into believing that which you think is good for you is actually contributing to your demise. So the fat is the part of us with which in its totality we are told to love God, primarily because it is the heart that has the capacity or the proclivity to love hard. You're, you're prone to love hard. This is why we end up with so many messed up relationships in life, because the heart is so easy to get taken. It's deceitful. But notice the position of the call. In the text, it says it is right above the liver. But in the animal, the call is the thing that is enclosed or shielding kind of the intestines. So here you have the fat in between the liver and the intestines. The liver being that thing which deals, and, and it's amazing that the liver deals with glucose because now you're dealing with sweetness sugar levels, and the intestines which have the nastiest waste in your body. So sometimes there's something in between the nastiest waste in your life and that which is sweet, and it becomes all mumbled together in the middle, the call, the veil, the mask. It confuses the two and mixes them up. This is why you got to give it to God, because he's going to know what to do with it. So when the filtration system, I'm sorry, when the filtration system breaks down, the waste stays in the circulatory system and it makes a way back to the heart again 
and again and again. Each time, it breaks the body down more and more. So when your deceitful heart tells you this is a good thing for you and you allow that thing to keep entering into and, and you don't filter it out, then it circulates right back through the heart. When it circulates back to the heart, then you're going right back to the lungs and then you're going back to the rest of the part of the body that the blood flows because blood is the one thing that goes to every part of your body, including your brain. So then after a while, it starts affecting your mind because there's something that has happened to the natural filtration spirit. You're not able to filter things the way God designed for you to filter them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, because your heart, whatever you trust in, your heart has the tendency to dive head first into. So whatever you're putting your trust in, that's where your heart is. And it, we can pretty much guarantee that all your heart is there. So if it's pornography that you run to, that's where your heart is. That fat needs to be burned, given to God, and burned. If it's doubt, if it's pessimism, Whenever God tells you he's going to do something and he confirms his word to you and you just go right back to that pessimism, that pessimism starts to filtrate to the rest of your body. It starts to go into other areas. Gets into your mind. It gets into your soul. It gets into your spirit. Gets into your body. And then we end up with high blood pressure and stress and stroke and heart attack. I think this is why the Bible says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made because the body is such an excellent pattern of what God has done in the spirit realm. And he's made it to where if you, you simply just do what you're supposed to do on a daily basis. And you don't put all of these crazy uh, toxins into your body. Your body doesn't have to think about the process. You just get up and do it. But the more you start indulging into unhealthy things, as far as diet or exercise or whatever, then your body starts to break down and you start to wear down. So as long as our faith is in the right place, it, it becomes something that you really don't have to think about. You automatically run to the cross. Whenever you get in a pickle, you don't go to the cigarettes. You don't go to the alcohol. You don't go to the drugs. You don't go to your mama, your daddy, your sister, your brother. But you take it to Jesus. You take it to the cross because it's not a thought process anymore. He's the one that knows how to filter this thing out of my life. The perceived benefit is when you choose harmful things that you know are not good for you, but you do it anyway because there is some beneficial pleasure, pacification, or appeasement. So you continue to indulge. You know that it's not good for you, but you stay anyway. You know that relationship is unhealthy for you. It causes all kinds of stress, and, but, but you continue to sit there and just let them grab your heel. Your whole life, you just sit there because you're getting something out of it. What are, what are you getting out of it? I'm getting some type of attention, and some type of attention is better than no type of attention. So this usually happens either unconsciously or subconsciously. Get 1 Corinthians 7. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 5. Now, I don't think it's going to be hard to identify the fat in our lives because a lot of us really, if we are really honest, 
we know what makes us tick. There's some things that you know exactly why you run to it. You know exactly why you hold on to it. 1 Corinthians 5, verse number 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. There's the filtration. You have to do a purging so the newness can come. As ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of what? Sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. My question for the Corinthians is, what was their perceived benefit for keeping fornicators, idolaters, extortioners, liars, and keeping them as their best buddies in the church? What were they really gaining from this? What was the real benefit? Because they had to perceive there's something worth keeping them around. There's something worth my, me keeping fellowship with such a spirit. This is why Jesus said, I came not to give peace, but I came with a sword. Because I'm going to divide houses. Because once you decide to put your faith in me, you're going to have to come to a conclusion of what you're going to do with the fat. And when you decide to give up your fat, you have just filtered out somebody, something, some mentality, some mindset. You have just filtered that out just by saying, Lord, I want to be saved. I want to know you. And then salvation is a progressive walk. So some folks think it's all high and mighty that, man, I got saved 15 years ago and I stopped smoking. But you haven't given up anything else since then. <laughs> Aiken's family from last night could have very well lost their lives because they thought of the many benefits they had gained by Aiken securing their wealth. That was their perceived benefit. We're not going to rat daddy out. My husband's not so bad. And this is not to say that you can't deal with people in love, but... You have to speak the truth in love. Isaiah 56 says, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. I thought about a few characters in the Bible, and I thought about their fat. The first one was Peter. Peter was a person that had a quick attitude. 
very bad temper. Because when we read of him in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest Jesus, he had been called by Jesus. He had been out baptizing. He had been out performing miracles in the name of Jesus. He had been out casting devils in the name of Jesus. But there was something in him, a tenacity in him, that God had to deal with. And when the soldier came to take Jesus, here comes Peter, who had two swords, and cut off his ear. Peter, I thought you were so peaceful. You, you, you have Jesus, the Prince of Peace, with you. Uh, we, we're not coming with swords drawn. We're coming to take the man. But, <laughs> but Peter, quick, without thought, some of us just cut folk down. No mercy. Even one of the soldiers that came believed in Jesus. The centurion soldier, on, when he was on the cross, said, surely, this is the son. The one of the ones that arrested him was being converted. What if he would have killed that one that was going to later believe in God? This is why the Bible says, judge nothing before the time. It is appointed unto man once to die, then after that the judgment. So we are to deal with, God deals with things after the death. But as long as they're still alive, keep on pumping the word into them. Keep on praying for them. Keep on witnessing to them. Sometimes we give up too quick. But then he says, Peter, do you love me? I know you got a bad temper. Do you love me? He said, Lord, yeah, I love you. And feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you really love me? He said, Lord, just stop asking me that. You, you know all things. You know if I love you or not. Let's not even play this word game. He says, after you're converted, though, he said, you're going to deny me when I go to the cross? You're going to say, I don't know the man. You're going to deny. He said, oh, no, Lord, I would never deny you. He says, that's all right. But when you're converted, right now, you're conformed to this world. But after your mind is transformed, then you're going to be able to do something for me. Once you get rid of this fat, this temper of yours, then you'll be able to work with me. The next one is Paul. Now, Paul was a man that had, he stood for what was right. Because when he persecuted the church of God, he did it, he said he did it in ignorance. But his motive was pure. Because he was defending the religious system of his people. We believe in one God. We believe the Messiah is coming. And this guy that y'all say Messiah is not it. So therefore, you putting your faith in something that's going to corrupt our entire faith. This is why Paul persecuted the church. But Jesus comes and says, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? He said, I am Jesus. Then after he's converted... The man that he sends him to says, Lord, here's another judgmental spirit. I don't, I'm not baptizing Paul. Don't send Paul my, don't send this man my way. He's killing your people. Why would you send him to me? Lord, why would you send this thing my way? 
Why would you send something that is such a threat to me my way? Ananias, why would you take that which is causing so much havoc in the rest of the church's life? Why would you put that on me? But Ananias didn't realize that by the time he got to him or he sent Saul to him, he had already burnt the thing up. So he takes Paul's fat. The next fat is David. Now, David, the Bible says, is a man after God's own heart. And that's hard to believe when you read about one, at least one of David's problems. Because David, when you think of the, the, the steep slope of sin, nobody comes to your mind more prolific than King David. Here's a man, again, he looked, he coveted, he took, and then he hid. And like Joshua, he wasn't where he was supposed to be at the appointed time because Israel was at war and David was their king. He was supposed to be on the battlefield, and if he was on the battlefield, he never would have saw that fine shape. Never would have saw it. So sometimes when you're not in the place that you should be, you're putting yourself in danger. Then once he saw it, he took it, and word got back to him, Bathsheba's pregnant. Okay, oh, man, what am I going to do about this? I got it. Let's take the man that is out fighting the good fight of faith. Let's take him who's loyal to me, his king, and loyal to the God that I represent for this people. Let's bring him off of the hot battlefield and let's give him a treat. Bring him home. But he knew, he had enough sense to know, I can't come and lay with my wife when I'm supposed to be out fighting. There's a time and a season for everything, old King David. Don't you know that right now is the time of war and not the time of lovemaking? It's too late for David because he had already enjoyed the season of lovemaking when he was actually in the season of war. The waste of the intestines got confused with the glucose in the liver. Samson. Here's a man that we read about who has great strength. He's inquired about his strength time after time after time. What, what is it about you that makes you so strong? You got to be careful who you reveal your secrets to. It's dangerous for a couple that is having marital problems, especially those that deal with intimacy, for some brother to go to another sister and complain about his wife because that sister just might say, don't worry about your wife. I know how to help you. That sister goes to another man and says, oh, but he, he, he just don't do me. He don't give me what I need. So he says, oh, why don't we going to get together and we're going to talk about this thing. Could you meet me at the restaurant? Samson finally gives in. And the thing is, he gave in, and he knew what was going on. Sometimes you see folk for who they are. Because every time he, even when he lied, 
and said, okay, this is where my strength has come from. If you do this, then my strength will leave. If you do that, then my And everything that he told her, every time, right after he told her, the soldiers would come in and try to take him, and he would overpower him. After a while, you would think, man, this, this woman is nuts. But Samson is the same person. When we read about the Ethiopian eunuch going through the, the, the desert strip, that desert strip used to be a very strong, strong fortified city. Do you know who emptied it out? Samson. He's the one that took that kingdom down after his fall, after the conversion, after his transformation, after he repented of his sins. God gave him the authority and the power to take the kingdom back. That's what happens when we give our fat to God. So the past really doesn't matter. We're going from today forward. We're we not going to lament over what we were or what we should have, could have, would have done. Now is the day of salvation. So when we finally offer our fat to God, we are giving him control over the filtration system of our souls. He takes watch over everything that passes through our system. He is our advocate. He is our paraclete. Nothing harmful now can get to us without first filtering through him. This is why it's important to give him the source of your strength. Ephesians 5 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now, with the fat of the in inwards, with the fat of the liver, with the fat of the kidneys, with the fat of the call. He said, not only take that which is on the fat, the kidneys, the liver, the call, but I want you to take the fat that is surrounding it. The Bible says that evil communication corrupts good manners. So you've got to deal with the fat that is surrounding you. Deal with the grabbers. Because remember, if you hold back any of the fat, all of that fat is claimed by God. You can't give him your fat and then stick around the rest of the fat. Because then you become like Ai, which is beside Bethaven. It becomes equal to nothingness. Because of its surroundings, because of its position. Y'all with me? Amen. All right. I'm trying to make it simple. So you have to reprove that stuff if they never like you again. You cannot sit and just let somebody do wrong and wrong and wickedness and wickedness time after time after time. The one thing that Jesus was chided for is because never a man speck like this. This man knows how to come in and expose the heart of anybody. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Yeah, we just talked. Did you know so-and-so did? Why are you still tied to that thing? Oh, I'm helping myself right now. <laughs> it is a shame even to speak of the stuff that other folks are doing around you. But yet we talk about it, chat over the phone with it, talk about it over dinner. 
Sometimes years can go by and we still remembering it. Yeah, I remember when so-and-so, I remember when she. And some of, some of us have it with the kids bad. Oh, she's so cute. Little bad habits, just lying. Oh, you got to break the spirit of lying fast in kids. Because once it takes root, you're going to have a problem on your hands down the line. So you got to watch your surroundings because evil communication does corrupt good manners. We want to give all the fat to God, our fat and the surrounding fat. But all things that are approved are made manifest by light. For whatsoever does make manifest is light. You can't claim to be light and you're not doing any manifesting at all. You can't hardly manifest the darkness in yourself, let alone your surroundings. But you're a child of the king. Christendom is known to have the most corrupt group of people, mainly even the, the, the leadership. You're supposed to represent something that is holy, something that is separate, something that is pure, something that is untainted. Yet we find more tainting, more impurity, more falsehood, more masks in the church than in the world. We've been running around the church for a whole year. You shout every week for 52 weeks straight, and you still struggle with the same sin. There's no light in you. There's no anointing on you. Because if there was anointing on you, then something would be destroyed. Your toxic waste, that which is filtered by the kidneys, the liver, the call, the intestines, all of that system that God designed, your toxic waste is God's savory meal. He said, when you lay this stuff on the altar, it will go up before God as a sweet-smelling savor. To you, it's detrimental. But to me, it smells good. This is why Paul says, in the ministry, the ministry works life in the church, but death in the minister. Why? Because the minister stands in the gap for the people. So he takes on the mess, and he's supposed to handle the mess, and then give it to God. It's the purpose of the church to stand in the gap and say, do you, I have somebody that knows how to get rid of your mess. I'll take you to him. That which is detestable. So I know some folks that don't eat chitterlings. We call them chitlins. Because <laughs> it's the intestines of the pig. It smells bad because you know what was in them. But when God gets in the picture, he's able to take something that was that nasty, and some folk can tear some chitlins up. <laughs> once it goes through the right cleaning, once it goes through the right purification, once the right anointing touches that thing, no matter how detestable it was, no matter how bad your attitude was, no matter how bad of a person you was, how stinky and, and low down you were, once the anointing of God touches you, 
it becomes a sweet-smelling savor. That's why folks say, I used to, you? I, I used to know you. That's the problem. You used to know. You need to get to know the new me. It's all right. Turn to somebody and say, it's time to take your first breath. Okay. Some of us, for a long time, have been in a call. And here's the frustration. We felt the contractions of the labor pains. We were in the womb. God was trying to give birth to us, and we felt the contraction. We felt the pressure. We felt him say, there's got to be more for your soul. Why don't you come and let me take your burden, and you can lay it on my altar. I'll give you joy. I'll give you peace. I'll give you rest. I'll give you solace. I'll give you the Holy Ghost. We felt that. We felt the breaking of the water. We knew that something was happening in us, but we're now in the elements only to realize that we're wrapped in the call. We haven't started breathing yet. There's too many folk in the church that are not living yet. They're not breathing yet. They've been through the formalities of birth, but they're not breathing yet because the call has to break. So as long as we're partaking of what belongs to God, we are in breach of that relationship. Like the call bearer, the child that is born with the mass, God has put something innate in you that will not allow you to breathe while the call is over your head so as to suffocate you. Because if that child starts to breathe and he's still in that mask, then he will suffocate. Look at God. The baby knows not to take a breath until he's free. With Adam. He had to put Adam out of, in fact, the Bible says he drove them out of the garden after they disobeyed him. And he drove them because if they were to run quickly to the tree of life, they would live forever in their sin. They would die in the condition that they were currently in. So he has put something innate in you that will not allow you to take a real breath until he's freed you from this. I hope somebody gets free from whatever the call is, whatever the fat is. If you can offer it up to God and allow him to break it, lay it on the altar and to burn it up. And then he will be pleased. He will be. It's death to you. But it smells good to him when you give it to him. Leviticus 6 and 8 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons these regulations concerning the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be left upon the hearth of the altar all night, with the altar fire kept burning. The next morning, the priest shall put on his linen undergarments and his linen outer garments, and clean out the ashes of the burnt offering and put them beside the altar. Then he shall change his clothes and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. The priest shall put on fresh wood each morning and lay the daily burnt offering on it and burn the fat of the daily peace offering. The fire must be kept burning upon the altar continually. It must never go out. 
So that means that as you lay this particular fat for this particular season in your life on God's altar here in this place this weekend, it's, it's not over. Because there has to be a daily peace offering. This is why he said, this shall be done perpetually throughout all your generations. He was dealing with them in the spirit realm, but he showed it to them in the natural. Look at Jesus here. Jesus took off his priestly garments and clothed himself in linen. He took off his heavenly robe of glory, came down and placed himself in flesh. Then once the sacrifice was accepted, Jesus got up from the grave, but this time he changed his garment. For the Bible says that he left his clothes neatly folded in the grave. This is what Leviticus 6 is dealing with. The priest going to change out of his priestly garment, put on his working clothes. Then, after he takes the ashes out from the altar and then out of the temple, out of the gates of the tabernacle, then he can take it to a place that is ceremonially clean. Once he does that, then he can change into another outfit. This is what Jesus did. Took off his uh, glory robe, put on his working clothes for the work of our redemption. Jesus was a burnt offering. That's why I read Genesis chapter 22. Abraham and Isaac is a story of God the Father sacrificing his only son, Jesus Christ. But Genesis 22 specifically said, I want you to offer thy son, thy only son. And only son doesn't mean that uh, uh, numerically. Only son means that which is irreplaceable. Nothing else will do beside this. The word only. So Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. There is nobody, there's nothing that you can sacrifice in place of him. Then he took the blood and he said, don't touch me because I have not ascended unto my father. Now, according to Jewish law, you couldn't touch anybody that was dead. You couldn't touch a dead body. And although he was risen, what he had on him were the ashes of us. And he had to go and sprinkle that on the mercy seat before anybody could touch him. Because anybody that touched something dead, they became ceremonial unclean. So once he got up from the grave, he put on a different garment. This time it was a glorified body. To carry the ashes of the sacrifice to a clean place. He entered into the cleanest place of all, which is the throne room of God. Exodus says, thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. The fat had to be burned the very day that the sacrifice was offered. You couldn't kill the animal and sacrifice the animal and then save the fat for the next day to offer up or the week later. Some of us, sometimes we bring fat from 10 years ago and think that it's acceptable now. No, he needs the fat of what you killed today. Remember now, because the fat is the thing that is the motor, the engine behind what you do or why you do it. 
And if you offer what you do and you don't offer why you do it, then what you do will continue to repeat itself until your system is toxic. The day you hear my voice, harden not your heart. This is why Jesus, the same day, in one day, he went to glory and back. My Lord. But while he was in the clean place with the ashes, at the same time, the fire has to be lit perpetually. While he is in heaven making intercession for us, it is our duty now because now we are the priests. It is our duty to wake up every morning and put wood on the fire. Every day we are to sacrifice something for God. Then again, 1 John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2 verse 1 says, my little children. These things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So my question is, is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart, does the spirit control? You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you give your all on the altar. That's where the peace, this is why it's called a peace offering. This is another reason why we only got time to be judging other folk. Because once you know what somebody else's problem is, all you could do is get the fat off of you. You got to become a butcher in life. The meat man. <laughs> See, the meat man knows how to cut off a certain amount of fat, but keep just enough so the meat can still have its flavor. Last scripture, Psalm 85 says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase." Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. The thing about the, the burnt offering was when it was all said and done, God was pleased with the people. And we want God to be pleased with us. Or we claim, I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You got to do that which is good. You got to do that which is good, not in your own eyes. Remember, because your heart is deceitful. 
And what God wants you to sacrifice, he wants you to sacrifice it because it's not good for you to keep. It's toxicity. 200 quarts of blood process just to filter two quarts of waste. Why? Because that little waste, once it starts circulating, it starts to build up more and more. Every 23 seconds, I believe it is, the blood circulates through your body. So when something goes wrong or a kidney shuts down, every time that toxic waste is circulating through your blood. My brother-in-law used to have to do dialysis three times a week when his kidney shut down. Uh, many times I would go and sit with him and we talk. And I looked at the machine. It takes the blood out of your body, filters it because your kidney has lost its function. So then something else has to filter it. Filters it and then pumps it right back into the body. But so many times he'd experienced near death what they call crashing. Because the, the levels are just changing too violently in the body at that time. So you want to give your stuff to the creator because he's able to fix the entire system to where you don't have to turn to drugs, sex, alcohol, worry, doubt, all of these vices that we have that we use as our dialysis. Because you can't just go to any dialysis. You want to check the dialysis center out. When we went to Hawaii, we had to make sure that before we went, they had a good dialysis center. Because even when you go on vacation, there is no ease when your kidneys have failed. You get no rest. So take it to God. Because not only is he able to filter out the bad stuff, but he's going to put some good stuff back in it. So next time your blood circulates, you go, where did that come from? I ain't never been this happy in my life. What? A couple of, about a year ago, I'm, I'm struggling with depression now. I'm just, it's gone. What happened? Because you gave it to God and allowed him to burn it up. I mean, y'all give God a hand praise for what he's done. He's good. And his mercy endures forever.